Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Nissan? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science? Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. Rules and, and ethics and everything else. We can make the world better for everybody. everybody. Starting now. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where... Science rules. This is where we talk about the universe and our place within it and and how we know all that. It's with science. Now, everyone, it's a call-in show, so if you want to be on, we want you to call in. Please go to askbillnye.com and type. Uh, tell us uh, your question, and we'll get you on the air. And I am, once again, joined by science writer and editor, longtime friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey. Salutations to you, Bill. Now, Corey. Bill. 50 years ago, uh, I was a kid at that Wait, time. 150 or 50? It's hard to tell when you look at me, but it was just 50. I've been living hard. I got very sick, sicker than I am today. I was sweating, the weak, the shakes, the whole thing you described. Our family doctor, Dr. Cole, prescribed penicillin, and I felt better right away. But if I had been infected with that same bacterium today, I probably would not have bounced right back after taking penicillin and gone to school the next day. I would have just had to let the illness run its course for a week or so, or let it kill me. And the penicillin compound uh, today is about the same, but the bacteria that infect us have mutated. They've changed. Penicillin is completely ineffective against many of them. And so as they keep mutating, Corey, we're facing a serious problem because we got all these diseases and we don't have the drugs we used to have that can fight them. So today we are talking about preventing an antibiotic apocalypse. And today we have uh, someone I think is just an extraordinary guest. She's a microbial ecologist at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and the leader, a leader, in finding new ways to fight bacterial infections, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Peg Riley. You have a big idea, right? I have lots of them, Bill. Well, let's pick one. <laughs> How about one that's connected to infectious disease? <laughs> okay. Well, my big idea, let's go back to when you were a kid and you were taking that drug. And it, 24 hours later, you felt better. What you didn't realize at the time was at the same time you took that drug, you also decimated your own microbial flora, your microbiome. 
And the microbiome is just all the bacteria and other microbes that live on, in, around. You shed them. They're everywhere on your body. It's like your, your own inner ecosystem. Exactly. Very complicated. And, and different microbiomes in different parts of your body even. It's very complicated. And we're just now starting to figure out what it means. What it meant then to you was that that antibiotic decimated your microbiome. And it was great that you felt better the next day, but very likely your microbiome took years to recover. We didn't know that then. We now do know that. And so what we've learned from that is that antibiotics, which are called broad spectrum, and they're chosen by pharma companies, particularly because they kill as many pathogens as possible. And these things, when they were discovered, this was a miracle. Oh, it still is a miracle. Absolutely. We just didn't realize that there was a major trade-off at the time when we first started using them. And that trade-off was your microbiome, which we didn't even know existed really back then, versus you feeling better in 24 hours. That one. But now today, we do understand this bigger impact. And so my big idea is, why don't we go ask the microbes how they would interact with each other if if they got challenged the way a pathogen challenges us. A- asking them in a microbiological way. Exactly. Okay, so how do you speak microbe? Well, you go out into nature and you gather microbes. In my case, I gather a lot of bacteria, and I bring them into the lab, and I just ask them to grow next to each other. And sometimes they're perfectly happy growing next to each other, but most of the time they're not because they're utilizing the same resources. And so they start to fight. By resources, we're talking about uh, growth medium, auger, and a Whatever I offer them. You know, I can offer them basically chicken soup, or I can offer them something that's a little bit better than water. And by offering them different levels of nutrients, I can get them to, to compete more or less heavily. And so what you find when you do that is not only do they compete, but they like to kill each other. All the time. <laughs> All the time. Biological warfare writ large, constantly happening. And this has been going on for billions of years, right? At least. Yeah, since, yeah. since, uh, since microbes got established. They emerged. It's sort of a, it's one of those since the dawn of time type things. Yes. Well, what's really cool though, and back to my big idea was if you ask the microbes whether they're producing antibiotics, these broad spectrum drugs we use, chemicals we use in pharma, the answer is most of them say no. No, why would I want to do that? If I, if I produce this antibiotic, I decimate my own community out in nature. So is this having to do with how does it work? It breaks down the membrane of the bacterium? The antibiotic? Uh, either or any of these things. Well, the antibiotics have lots of different mechanisms. But, but what these guys are doing is they, instead of antibiotics, they're producing this other thing, which is called a bacteriocin, and that's a protein. And sin is an old Greek word for cut. That's right. Bacteria sin. So they're sin. basically going in and C-I-N. forming pores. They form a hole and all the guts of the bacteria. You know, just, yeah. And the reason this became so exciting was if you look at the phylogeny of all bacteria and you ask them. When you say phylogeny for the rest of us. Yeah. The, it's, it's like a branching tree and and the limbs all connect to the individual the family tree the of bacteria family tree of bacteria and you ask them how many major limbs produce antibiotics the answer is two if you ask them how many limbs produce these bacteriocins these proteins that i'm interested in the answer is everybody mm-hmm. so we know it's a good idea because it's lasted in evolution and so if you ask what's the difference between Antibiotics and bacteriocins, the answer is bacterians target their killing, like guided missiles. 
So think of an antibiotic as an H-bomb. It drops. The forest is devastated. The bactericin is a guided missile. It goes in and strategically kills one target in the woods. And that makes sense from an ecological perspective because the bacteria don't want to kill their environment. They and just they want to get their competitors Their away. neighbors, right. They want to kill the things that eat the same foods they eat, which are members of their same species. So this is actually within species warfare. I want to get to somebody who I believe exposes herself to all kinds of microbiomic Yeah, I, want, I really want to find species. out if, this is, if, this is, if most of the microbes are our friends— is exposing yourself to more a good thing? So let's uh, let's Jenny, talk, Jenny, talk to Jenny are you and out find there? out. Hello, is this Mr. Nye? Yes, it is. Where are you calling from, Jenny? I'm calling live from New York. Oh, live uh, from New York, New York, New York. The town's so nice; they named it yeah. twice. The the Big Apple, as they say. All right, there's eight million uh, people running around with all those microbiomes, and there's you. Tell us your story, Jenny. Uh, well, I have a adorable dog named Ray. He is eight years old, and I adopted him last year. Um, and I have a, a, a kitten named Rye. Um, they're they're a dynamic duo. Um, however, they are they are incredibly disgusting. Um, you know, as animals are. You know, Ray Ray constantly uh, he sneezes everywhere due to allergies, um, licks his butt. <laughs> Uh, he eats his poop and then vomits it up and then licks it up, um, which are, you know, pretty general dog behaviors. But, you know, as, as a dog and pet owner, you love your animals and you just want to be around them all the time. So I am guilty of letting them all come on my bed. Uh, and I'm just wondering how much of a disgusting monster I am for letting them do that. <laughs> and am I susceptible for any, to any germs or diseases? Oh, Jenny, Far from disgusting, you're adorable. That was a great story, <laughs> and, and I applaud your, your pet friendliness. Let them sleep with you if you wish. That, if that makes you happy, really? that's a good thing. Sure it is. What's, you already share your microbiome in part with your dogs and cats. If we were to sample the bacteria in your gut, you would share quite a few with your dogs and your cats. It's because of the things that you just described. Um, let's not go into the ones you described. Let's talk about, like, <laughs> licking your face and kissing. And you're sh constantly sharing your microbiomes. And if you're healthy now, what's the worry? There you go, Jenny. That's true. Party on with uh, Ray and Ron. Thank and now, God. Yes. Now you, can, now you can relax and just, just enjoy these great pets you have. They might vomit in my bed, but hey, you know, no, microbiomes are on. for everybody. It's yeah, we can't guarantee it'll, Thank you. We can't guarantee it'll be pleasant all the time. We can only say it doesn't seem dangerous. Jenny, thanks thanks for <laughs> hanging around. Thank you. Bye-bye. And I believe we have Chris on the line. Chris, are you there? Hi, yes. Welcome to Science Rules. Uh, where are you calling from, Chris? Where Where are you sitting in your, in your cloud of bacteria? I'm currently in Valdosta, Georgia. Okay. Uh, and uh, are you worried about disease? Or are you uh, are you feeling healthy? Or are you feeling concerned? I'm healthy, but I'm concerned because I am allergic to amoxicillin, penicillin, and tetracycline. That's yeah. Uh, that's another serious issue: is uh, people who have who have allergic reactions to some of these antibiotics. Uh, what what is your specific question that you have here? So I work with copiers all day. So I was worried: uh, what's the worst pathogen I could be exposing myself to on the copiers? Your copy machines. 
Yeah. Is, is that what you mean? I mean, like pressing the same buttons and working the same machinery that and other people do, and they might be infected. Is that certain, what you mean? And people well, taking we're pictures. We're return centers, so we get copiers from hospitals and other places, uh-huh. and so we're opening them up to the internals and the, the heated products that are inside the copiers as well. Okay, got it. Well, Chris, that's a great question, um, and I can understand why you'd be concerned because I personally try to avoid hospitals at all costs. That's not where I want to go when I'm sick. Well, the guy's working for a living. I, I know, and and that's why it's a great question. You have to protect yourself. But the good news is that most of the bacteria that you might be worried about aren't going to survive that process of transport from the hospital to your lab um, in, in any sort of environmental condition. But having said that, um, are you a pretty healthy guy? Yes, I'm very healthy. Then, then I would chill out and just enjoy your job because <clears throat> you have a microbiome of your own that's powerful, and that's in part what's keeping you healthy. It's also making you smarter, and it's making you less depressed, but those are other issues for another show, Bill. No, no. Uh, okay, we'll have, yes. Okay. Yes. Another show. Thank you. Microbiome okay. uh, and your overall health and happiness. Yes. Check. Depression and... I mean, the important and quick point is that this environment of bacteria in your body is actually doing a lot of beneficial things right. for you. There are very it's, good reasons why you don't want to just take a broad-spectrum antibiotic and mow them all down because that's that's part of the healthy you that you're getting rid of. That's right. And and the viruses as well. We would, we've been focusing on bacteria, but the viruses won't last that long on that equipment either. So um, keep forging ahead and, and making those hospital copiers so, work. Chris, do you feel like you have to wipe everything down with alcohol or something like that? Only when we get ones in with blood on it. Oh, my goodness. Well, okay, now I'm going to take a step back. I didn't know that... Take a step forward, Peg. They were covered with blood. Okay, I would talk to your... (laughs) Uh, Let's say he is the supervisor. Let's just say he's in charge. What should he do? I would tell the hospitals to clean them before they send them to you. I mean, come on, that's just basic. Basic safety rules. Well, a lot of times it's the drivers. Sometimes the drivers will cut themselves when they're transporting them. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Well, Chris, you really, you really can rely on your microbiome to keep you pretty safe, Um, and avoid antibiotics when you don't have to take them. So, on on another note, where do you get your microbiome to start with? Ah, that's a great question. Where did Chris get his microbiome? Well, if he was. Well, I don't know if we can go this way, but if he was born vaginally versus C-section, he got different microbiomes. You were C-section. And look, he's fine. Well, of course he's fine, but he's a healthy guy. But what we're now learning is that when you're born with a C-section, you don't gain the benefit of your mother's microbiome that's passed on to you through the birth canal. And so quite often— How does it get all over your skin as an infant? It just gets all over you, and you ingest it, you and, ingest it. and oh, yes. breastfeeding. I mean, you get you get microbes. But what about that if way? your mom is all smoochy and cuddly and so on? Don't you get that, full of microbiome things? You you do for sure. But it's those first few moments of life that have a huge impact later. Well, who gets in there first and sets up house? So in in a C section, what we're learning now is that quite often you will have bacteria that are found in the hospital rather than the bacteria found in your mom. Wow. Yeah. But, that, but does that affect your health? Long term, it could. Now, you've Chris has made it this far very healthy and we're delighted. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> but, but we're also now concerned. We, we know so little about this microbiome. It's such a young science. But these kinds of facts are emerging 
someone born through a C-section has a different microbiome than if they're born that So does somebody have a plan to take a swab of the vagina and uh, give it to the kid when he's born C-section? Well, she? it's the same idea as fecal transplant, right? You've heard of that? Yes, we've heard of it, but many of our listeners may not be all the way on board with the concept. Okay. Corey and I have had a yes. little experience with these filmmakers with this guy who uh, went to extraordinary lengths. But that aside, Chris, you're feeling good? Yes. I, I take multivitamins, and I take uh, I drink healthy drinks and shakes to keep my uh, my bacteria up. And you, uh, you, you open those copiers up and you're exposed to, to uh, gently exposed to almost dead bacteria all the time. And you just build up a whole catalog of, uh, of antibodies. Way and, to go, man. Right. Yeah. And maybe you're ask- probably healthier than most people because you get exposed to all those crazy bacteria. Uh, and maybe ask the delivery guys to, I don't know, wear gloves or be a little more careful when they're <laughs> loading and unloading you the know trucks. What, you know what Uncle Bill <laughs> says about gloves? Gloves are tools. Gloves are That's tools. right. We All have right. them. Okay. Well, well. Thank, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. Stick around for more science rules after this. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Science Rules is back. So before we spoke with Chris, Dr. Riley, you were explaining bacterial warfare and how Bacteria sins are like guided missiles. I'm, I'm sorry, but whoa, 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 wait. <laughs> no, no. I knew that would get you. Yeah. Well, I presume. Do you know what happens when you presume, Corey? Oh, I know what happens. You, you make, make a, a purge, a purge out of you and, and me. me. Yeah. But before we go there, I presumed that bacteria are not killing their own species. They might kill a subspecies or a nearby, uh, genetically nearby species. But and you're saying you that, would be wrong with that presumption. Well, that's why we're talking about this. So <laughs> did they deploy it directionally or so, something? So think about it this way. You have E. coli living on the mucin in your gut, and it's happily chomping away. What's mucin, by the it's, way? It's that, li- that lining? Mucity, mucoidy lining of it's your... It's your mucoidy lining. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Got a little mucus just kind of flowing yeah. all over. Your, your inside coiting. things, making it all nice and smooth and glistening. And, and E. coli are just happily munching away. And let's say that at lunch you ate some slightly raw hamburger meat and a new E. coli entered your gut. It has to do two things. It has to survive in your gut, which it's evolved to do, but it also has to find a space in your gut. And if other E. coli are there, it can't get in. So what it does is it produces a bactericin that will kill just those strains of E. coli, releasing that environment for them to now invade. And also, if you're going to 
if you're a bacterium, you're going to make a molecule. You want to make an efficient molecule. You don't want you want to overdo it because it takes energy, your bacterial resources, right? Exactly. And so these guys only do this. They only make these molecules when they're stressed out by their neighbors, by their close neighbors. When you say stressed out, the neighbors are competing for the same exactly. sugar or whatever yeah. they have. Whatever stress the, in the environment they feel. So it could be just nutrients are depleted or oxygen levels are low or high, whatever bothers them. Okay, now, Peg, I, w- I want to back up here for a second because yep. you were talking about, you know, you don't want to mow down your microbiome. You don't, want, you don't want to clear out all these beneficial bacteria that are in your body. But that first problem, the big problem of antibiotic resistance, how do bacteriocins help you against that? Don't the, don't the bacteria then develop resistance to the bacteriocins as well? Absolutely, they will. And that's where we have to be a little bit smarter. Now, if you look at the evolution of bacteriocins, the bacteria have survived using these. Most every species uses them. And what they do is they have a huge panel of them. And so you, you're constantly selecting for a new protein that can do the job better. So in the human parallel, you have antibiotics. And we have the first one, penicillin, great thing, till it's not, ampicillin, tetracycline, oxytetracycline, and we invent or discover one after the other because of resistance. The bacteria don't have to wait for that. They have tons of these proteins. Well, they've been at it for billions of years. Not, That's true. Not they a did few have decades. a head start. Yeah. yeah. So what they do yeah. is they, they just cycle through them, and, and it's actually akin to rock, paper, scissors. The, the bacteria play a game where they bring in a new protein, e- resistance evolves, the producer disappears, and now being resistant can be costly, and so sensitivity evolves, and then a new producer comes in, and it just cycles round and so round the, and round. So the premise of your bit, if I understand it, is to identify the bacterium with which I am infected, and then show up with the proper bacteria sin. That's right. All right. We have another caller. Uh, Chelsea, are you out there? Yep. Hello. Where are you calling from, Chelsea? I am calling from Minnesota. Well, that's a big place. Are you allowed to tell yeah. us specifically where in Minnesota? St. Cloud, Minnesota. So it's like central Minnesota, like right in the middle. Not far from the source of the uh, of the Mississippi River. No, I live right next to it, actually. It's the backyard. Yeah, next to it is, uh, for me, is a lot like not far. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, cool. Thank you for calling. What's your question, Chelsea? Hit us. Okay, so if hand sanitizer is helping make antibiotic-resistant bacteria, then why do they have it everywhere at hospitals and, like, in schools and, like, everywhere I go, there's hand sanitizer. But I'm always told that I shouldn't use it. Who's always tolding you that? I have heard that from many, many people when I was in, like, college or, like, biology professors who are like, you need to wash your hands instead of doing that. And I have a husband who's also always telling me that. and He's a wildlife biologist, but still... And so I get this message constantly that it's going to create this super bug if we all keep using it and not washing our hands. And so every time I'm at the hospital, I'm like, well, it's right here, so it must not be that bad. Well, Chelsea, you know, um, your husband, I hate to do this, but he's actually right. And it's Bill would know happen. this. It's going to happen. Bill, Bill <laughs> would know this. Husbands, most husbands, clueless, 
but in this one specific. Well, he's a wildlife biologist too, right. so and, and, I have and, a fondness. And they may have been married many years before that happened. So Perhaps. who's to say? But anyways, we Bill would know the answer to this if he recalled the first time he met me. But perhaps it wasn't that memorable. Hold it! I, you're the guest. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. Am I'm, I not supposed to be? Pushing no, you? you're supposed to be the fount of knowledge. You're supposed to okay. lay it on us. I'm hopeful. So, Bill may recall now that when he was in my lab at Yale. Uh, 20 some years ago, we're both very old now. He brought out his Purell bottle, and I said, Bill, what? what why are you using I'm, Purell? You're taking leave of your senses? And he looked at me and said, Well, you know, I got to shake all these hands every day, and I want to stay healthy. And I said, Oh, give me a break. Just wash your hands, Bill. And what we did, we, he never called me back, so I didn't get to show him the results. <laughs> but we, we tested the level of Purell resistance in my lab shortly after that. And we found that 80% of the strains we tested were resistant to Purell. Now, what is the active ingredient in Purell? I know there's some alcohol, but what, I thought what, is, it was what alcohol. else is it? It's alcohol. It's just alcohol. Yeah. So this combination that they created and labeled Purell, we would just spot that on our Petri dishes and ask, are you resistant or can you live in the presence mm. of Purell? And most of them could live in the presence of Purell. But I thought alcohol killed everything. Not so much. Not so much. You know that there are sterilizing solutions in hospitals that things like pseudomonas will grow in? They, they eat it for a living? Corey, did you know pseudomonas eating bacteria? No, and that's terrifying that there are, there are things that are living on the sterilizing but solutions let's get, that are supposed to kill anyway, things. So let's Peg, get back to Chelsea, Peg, to, though. to your point. Yes. I wash my hands whenever I can. But when you're out in public, shaking hands, blah, 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 you're not always have access to soap and water. No, we did that test on the Science Guy show. Soap and water is the thing. It is the thing. That's the way to go. And, and what I would do if I were not a nurse or someone in a hospital setting or someone in a daycare setting, I would just, I would just not use Purell and wash your hands as often as you can with warm water, soap, 20 seconds, the old routine. I actually showed Bill how to do this on his series years ago and remember the hand imprints yes that's what i'm saying i'm a believer like i have young daughters and i mean this is a common situation that you're you know you're out doing a you know like a field trip in in new york city you're riding on the subway is it better to use purell or or is it better to use nothing if that's your option and chelsea what do you do well okay i'm a teacher and so i use my hand sanitizer in my classroom like all the time because I don't want to go all the way to the bathroom. But I still, every time I do it, I wonder, should I just not do it? Chelsea, are you a right, sort of healthy gal and feeling good most of the time? Yeah. So then you probably oh, yeah. don't need to be using that Purell or other hand sanitizers frequently during the day. You have your mm-hmm. own microbiome, even on your hands and your arms. And you really do have a very well-established pool of bacteria that can deflect a lot of the pathogens that you're worried about. It's a trade-off. But I want to get back to your original Mm -hmm. question, which was, is using this um, sanitizer leading to antibiotic resistance? And the answer to that is Mm -hmm. no. So you don't have to worry about contributing to the antibiotic resistance dilemma by washing your hands. alcohol is... It's different than antibiotics. So So if you uh, walked around sprinkling antibiotics everywhere, then I'd say you're in trouble. What's the famous soap thing? Ends in an and. Oh, a, a, tr- a triclosan? Triclosan. Yeah. Tell in. us about triclosan. Okay. <laughs> that's the antibiotic in some soaps, right? Yes. And that's bad. 
Well, most of them are resistant to it now because people like you use it so much. Not me. So all those, yeah, that, there was a, I guess they're not so popular now. Why are you busting my jobs? You think I didn't learn anything? I thought maybe you forgot because you never called me back after that visit. It was like 10 years it was before so I heard compelling. from you. But there was a wow. t- there was a time when there, uh, you know, there were the antibiotic soaps and antibiotic <laughs> hand lotions, all these things with triclosan in them. They're uh, they're mostly gone now because it turned out that they were the main thing they were doing was spreading a new kind of antibiotic resistance. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So most of the hand sanitizers you're using aren't going to be contributing to the antibiotic resistance crisis. So that that's the answer to your original question. But I wouldn't worry okay. as much about washing your hands constantly if you're a pretty reasonably healthy gal. But is there something to a solvent on your hands taking stuff off it? Like if you had a bottle of alcohol on your desk and you'd uh, wipe your fingers with it, would that be good? Well, I wouldn't want to do it because I'm impacting then the bacteria that are supposed to be living there. Mm-hmm. And they're filling all the niches that a pathogen might fill. And in fact, you know, Corey said earlier, you know, some of the bacteria are good, some are bad. But in fact, 99% of them are all perfectly fine, not hurting us, in fact, quite often helping us. So even on your hands where you're just kind of touching all kinds of random things, you have a healthy microbiome just right there Hanging on your hands in front there. of you. Mm-hmm. And even washing your hands, you're not going to get rid of that microbiome. So that's Why there. Not? It's it's part of it's basically microbes are part of you. They're attached to the uh, crevices, They've pores of your skin. To live there and withstand. Chelsea, all of that. you that was a great question, it an sure important was. question. So carry on. Thank you. Uh, we have a caller. Uh, we have Bruce, who I think is going to ask a question that's going to lead to a great uh, something everybody should consider. Bruce, are you out there? I'm right here, Bill. Where are you calling from? I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Oh, it's gorgeous. Gorgeous. Welcome to Science Rules. And uh, it's March. Hey, thanks, guys. Let me guess. It's cloudy. Yeah. (laughs) There's a reason you're the science guy. How do I do it? it? cloudy. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for calling. What's your question? Vaccines are great, and, and there's no question about the benefits of vaccines. But when, as a physician, when I look for evidence in favor of the flu vaccine, I come up empty, and I just wondered what you and your guests uh, can do to help me with that. Bruce, what I'm hearing is you can't get the level of confidence that you're hoping for, but isn't it true that 40 to 60 percent sounds a lot like one and two, sounds like 50 percent? So if I'm a regular guy and flu season's coming and I get a flu shot, I greatly increase my chances of not getting infected with that flu by getting the flu shot, about one in two. One in two is infinitely more than zero. Is that true? I agree, agree, except what I know is that there's a one in two shot uh, that your flu shot will match the strain. Right. What I'm not seeing is the actual Uh, results. I cannot find a publication that says... People are not getting the flu. I, I see that they're oh, getting a match in the strain, but show me proof that people are not getting the flu because they had the flu shot. That's what I'm having trouble so, finding. Bruce, and what, I want to find it. Okay. Um, so, I, first of all, it's a great question. Second of all, what you might want to be looking for is the data that is published on the CDC that's about hospital admissions for flu-like symptoms. And that, I think, will help. Um, I actually just showed that to my students a few days ago. 
And, and look, they're fine. They're all fine. <laughs> Not one case of flu. No. But Bruce, it really is a tough it's a tough question to answer because we don't have the kinds of studies you want, but we do have solid extremely large samples of data on the numbers of individuals in a population or a subpopulation vaccinated versus the number of admittances to hospitals with flu-like symptoms. So I okay. suggest you still get that darn flu shot and that you suggest to your patients that they get it, and we all work together on herd immunity. All no. right. Thank you, Peg. And I uh, agree. And, yes. And, <laughs> no, Thanks, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. Now, thank you, thank Bruce. Thank you, guys. Appreciate uh, it. Thank you. Uh, carry on glorious and free. Uh, <laughs> no, it is. Canada's glorious and free. The true north, uh, it's, it's, it's all, it's what's not to love. So now. It's a great place. It is. And, uh, you know, I'm an old Seattleite, and uh, we love the Vancouver. Oh, my goodness. You wonder what's wrong with the U.S.? We can't get shreddies. There's no shreddies in the U.S. Just think how much better the world would be. This is a breakfast cereal, everybody, available in the British colonies. All right, now, uh, Dr. Riley. Yes, Bill. We have a senator from Kentucky, a state, a commonwealth here in the United States, who is a physician, Rand Paul, and he insists that people should be free not to get their vaccinations. Then in Washington state is a place where people have not gotten their measles shot and now people are getting infected with measles. Do you have an opinion about this? Because I sure do. Let me ask you this. Is it what I jokingly refer to as a true fact or a false fact that if Mr. Uh, Dr. Paul does not get his vaccination, he becomes a breeding, a breeding ground, a breeding organism for a mutated gene, a mutated flu or measles that could infect me. In other words, what he thinks of as personal freedom is taking away my freedom. Is that a reasonable way of looking at it. It's it's a good way of looking at it. Don't get But you I wrong. would take it not down a notch. And all I would say is, look at the measles. You Senator don't want Paul, measles. You don't want them. And where are those epicenters emerging? They're emerging in areas where the laws about vaccination or the local school district's regulations are lax. And they have very high frequencies of parents choosing not to vaccinate for personal reasons, religious reasons, or sometimes health reasons. And yes, there are children that should not get vaccinated because they're, they have uh, suppressed immune systems, for example. But if that's not the case, they've just published a study in, in um, a Danish study on... I, I've, the yeah. Danes, that's a, that's a socialist country, you know. Oh, maybe I shouldn't bring these, oh, these man. true facts up then. Yeah, yeah. But they did a study, and I believe the number was 6,000 patients, and they showed zero linkage between vaccination and autism or any other disease that has been invoked in the past. And this, we have to say that story's closed. Let's close the book, move on. Vaccines are safe. They're the safest drug that we have in the world. They've been tested that much. They're, the safe, they're safer than your antibiotics, which, by the way, are toxic. They're safer than your migraine medicines. They're safer than your arthritis medicines, but we freely take those. So let's get over this and get vaccinated. Now, right on. There's another common misconception that I'd like to handle here. So my, my wife is a physician. She's a, she's a family practice doctor. And all the time people come in, they have 
ear infections or they have other uh, other types of infections which are clearly viral infections and they want an antibiotic. And she says, an antibiotic does not work against a viral disease. They say, I don't care. Just prophylactically, I want it anyway, just to be safe. Uh, can you talk just quickly about what is the difference between you know, a viral and a bacterial disease and is, how big of a problem is that in, in encouraging antibiotic resistance? Well, it's it's enormous problem. Um, viruses are not bacteria. Viruses are probably not even alive, although some scientists argue about that. They're obligate parasites, and they don't respond to antibiotics. The antibiotics don't have a way to get at them. The problem really is not that you take the drug and it doesn't work. Not only does it not work, it does work against your microbiome. And it's, it's killing other stuff. It's, it's selecting for resistance and all that other stuff in your body. And so now your body, if it's got 10 to the gazillion microbes, you've got a good number of that 10 to gazillion that are resistant to the antibiotics that you might need in the future. Now, when we get into the question of is, is a patient using an antibiotic the cause of antibiotic resistance, I'm going to have to say that is not our biggest problem. As you guys know, most of our antibiotics are not used in human or animal health. They're used in food production. And As, that's another question for another whole show, Bill. Yeah, Bill, why haven't we booked in? Why don't I get a hotel show? and stay for the week? <laughs> uh, well, maybe you will. So um, I want to know, what can I personally do? So, Corey, that's a great question. And what you can do is make decisions in your own life that will impact the use of our very precious drugs, the antibiotics. We talk about them as, as now being decimated, and that's true. We're, we're running out of them. But there are still efforts to find new ones. And if we choose to use them more appropriately, which means less often, only when needed, completing courses of antibiotics, we want to save those. So you can do things like choosing food that's produced without antibiotics. That's where a lot of the antibiotics are being used in, in agriculture. And so let's make choices that really impact, like don't go to, you know, the chains that buy meat from, you know, farms that use antibiotics. That's a huge one. And, and MassPerg at my university, which is a student advocacy group, was instrumental in helping some of these chains stop buying that kind of meat. And, and those are the stories I give my students. You, you can act with your wallet. And that's a really powerful tool. And we forget that each of us as individuals, when we start acting with our wallets, we can have an enormous impact. Way and to go. In fact, we can change the world, change Bill. The world. Now I, I, you're talking. Now you're talking, Bill's now You hear that? Lightning. Ah, uh, lightning, lightning round. Lightning superheats the atmosphere, a portion of the atmosphere, hotter than the surface of the sun for a moment, which produces a shock wave, a fabulous... Uh, fluid mechanical effect, which we reckon we hear as thunder. So uh, it's, a, it's a very rapid event, which would seem like uh, leading us to some rapid fire questions. Are you ready guests. for the lightning round peg? She, yes. She looks terrified, which Here is exactly is. what we want. Is it true that not finishing your antibacterial round contributes to antibiotic resistance? Yes or no? Yes. Because they, they mutate. Exactly. Crying out loud. How do you tell good bacteria from bad bacteria? Just focus on the good. Oh, all right. Oh, wow. Most of them are. You'll be right 99% of the time. How often do I really need to wash my hands? As often as you can. <laughs> okay. The five-second rule. Is, it, is there any truth to it? 
I honestly don't know. Something's <laughs> falling on the floor. Uh, well, something's falling on the floor. Do you pick it up and eat it? I don't, but that's just me. Okay. Why it's not? not based on science. It's oh, just it's... a personal preference. Uh, do antibiotics work on viral infections? No. Does zinc affect bacteria or viruses? Or is taking a zinc tablet a homeopathic myth? You know, I don't know the data on zinc, so I'm not going to answer because you know what? If you don't know the data, you ought to just not have that opinion. Oh, no, but no, we, this is a podcast. We're just lousy with opinions. No, that's already, nobody knows, but they sell a lot of it. So maybe the, who knows? Okay. What is your, if you have one, what is your favorite bacterium? I know there are a lot to choose from, so well, we, can, I, we can give you a minute to think. <laughs> no, no. I, I My favorite is E. coli. Aw. And, and for several reasons. It's the lab rat of the microbial world. Oh, so it's, it's, it's lovable. It's lovable, and we scientists use it all the time. And, and there's a lot of strains. Lots of strains. What is the E in E. coli? Escherichia. Escherichia. Does, and what does that mean? Oh, who knows? It's Latin. Who knows? Okay. It's Latin. <laughs> I mean, my mother kn- will be sad because she's a Latin scholar. This has been a great time. Am I right? You are right, Bill. Our guest today has been Dr. Peg Riley, who Woo. is studying bactericins, which will be the future of our relationship to disease. Thank you so much for being here, Doctor. My pleasure. I'm Bill Nye. I'm Corey Powell. Remember, when it comes to the bacteria and disease portions of our universe, science rules. Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell. Claire Rollinson is the senior producer. Our engineers are Jared O'Connell, Casey Holford, and Brendan Burns. Our episode was mixed by Casey Holford. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer of Stitcher. And remember, at Stitcher, science rules. Stitcher. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find ten. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.